You're listening to Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Welcome back to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing, and I'm joined by my co-host, Professor Americus Reed, the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and the Brand Identity Theorist. And in this hour, our spotlight, or half hour, 30 minutes, our spotlight segment, we're going to talk about my book which I'm really excited about. It came out this week. Yes. Um, it's a fully updated and expanded edition of The Shopping Revolution. Yes. And it's about how retailers can succeed mm-hmm. in an era of endless disruption, which has been accelerated by COVID-19. Um, this so is I'm awesome. Let me, let me jump in too, because I, I want to kind of set the stage for this because the research, your research started when, Barbara, when you started first working on this, this, the, the work. Yeah, so I published my first book, The Shopping Revolution, before COVID mm-hmm. in 2018. And I started writing it in 2017 because mm-hmm. that was known as the year of the retail apocalypse. The retail is, apocalypse. Yeah, which is pretty <laughs> ridiculous. But uh-huh. in 2017, 8,600 stores closed and people were talking about that's the end of physical retail. Wow. Okay. And that was before COVID. So wow. they ain't seen nothing yet. You know? <laughs> 8,600 stores closed in, in what year, Barbara? In 2017. 2017. Um, wow. How many stores closed in 2020? Yeah, in 2020, 12,000 stores 12, closed by the end of the year. Wow. That's additional. That's so, a, wow. You know, so that's a lot. That's, that's a lot of physical stores going away. That's um, a ton. But one of the things about it, which people don't realize, is we had too many physical stores. I mean, if you oh, think about it, okay. there was like a gap on every single corner. Who <laughs> Even without e-commerce, who needs a gap on every single corner? You know, just we don't. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. So we had we had this is interesting from a historical point of view, Barbara, we had reached a point where we were clearly oversaturated. And the only reasons these stores kind of existed was because there wasn't enough. Uh, what's the word pressure on consumer demand and or constraints on consumers that would force that leanness to sort of cut the fat, if you will. Is that what was going on? Yeah, I mean, they were just like lazy. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> what you're talking about. And they were just doing things and growth came from opening new stores. Mm. Um, and they mm-hmm. just kept opening new stores, whether we needed them or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened before COVID was there's a lot of innovation in retail. And a lot of what was, you know, those, a lot of the stores were closing were mall stores, you know, mm-hmm. Macy's and Sears and JC Penney's were closing stores. Mm-hmm. And where were those shoppers going? They were going to better retailers. They were oh. going to mm-hmm. um, TJ Maxx or mm-hmm. Ross or Burlington, which were selling um, the treasure hunt experience, getting a great price, mm-hmm. or they were going to Walmart and Target, which mm-hmm. offered just about the same things you can find in a JCPenney's, but much mm-hmm. cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, or they were going to really innovative retailers like Sephora Mm. that had a completely different customer experience and Mm -hmm. understood the importance of focusing on the customer Mm -hmm. or they were starting to shop online. But like these, these stuck in the middle, Mm. I'm going to use your term, you know, maybe lazy retailers. Mm -hmm. They were just not innovating enough. They were doing what they always did and Mm -hmm. shoppers found a better shopper shopping experience somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this is interesting, Barbara, because you pointed out something which I think uh, corresponds to at least one element of the famous con matrix, 
and which we will have to recap in just a second. <laughs> but but this notion of like functionality, I think that's one of your one of your key components, like functionality versus experience, and then fun versus frictionless. And so talk about talk about this is interesting because I, I want to give listeners a sense of like how how do we as academics like come up with this stuff? Like, did you see things in the marketplace? Were you analyzing this and you and you kind of there were common things that just seemed to kind of gel together? Was this something you set out with? Like a priori? How did this how did the con matrix happen? Number one, give me the backstory and then explain the con matrix because it's a very important framework for strategic decision making for the new retailers. Yeah, so I can talk about what was in 2017, then how I changed it now, because I wrote this new thing, you know, how everything changed because of COVID. Everything changed, but everything stayed the same. But um, one, one of, so it is interesting how I thought, I had been working in retail for the last, you know, up in 2017, I had been running the Jay Baker Retailing Center for about six or seven years. So I had been spending every single day basically thinking about retailing and what's happening. So to your point, I knew a lot. I had a lot of experience with it and I had talked to a lot of retailers and I was reading trade magazines all all the time, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't about to write a book about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just kind of knew stuff. Mm -hmm. And what you have to do if you're going to write a book or if you're going to teach, frankly, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is to figure out ways to come up with a framework so you can take all that information and put it into something where you can make sense, where you can come up with a strategy or kind of give advice to people. Mm -hmm. So in order to do that, what I looked at was like, this, I, I, you know, retail apocalypse. Well, not everything's closing. So let mm-hmm. me see if I can see patterns in mm-hmm. what, what are the retailers that are doing well and they're actually opening stores. Mm-hmm. And what are the retailers that are doing badly mm-hmm. and they're the ones closing stores. So that's not what we want to do. So let's <laughs> look at what we want to do. And I already talked about one thing I noticed, which mm-hmm. is that people were running away from what's called stuck in the middle retailers. And they were going to better customer experience. They were going to a better price proposition or they were going online. Mm -hmm. So those were some trends we already knew about. And to what you were saying, you know, it's ultimately going to come back to my framework, a better customer experience. Why are they shopping in support? Because it's more fun. You know, it's (laughs) it's a better place than going Mm -hmm. into Macy's. Mm -hmm. Why are they going to TJ Maxx? Because you get a really good deal with TJ Maxx, you know? Mm -hmm. And why are they going online? It's much easier. So like, that's from a customer point of view is pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. There were a couple other trends though that were happening then. And this is what we saw really accelerated during COVID, uh-huh. which was we saw a lot of these digitally native vertical brands starting mm-hmm. to come out. Mm-hmm. So if you think about Harry's or uh, Dollar Shave Club, mm-hmm. you know, taking share away from Gillette, mm-hmm. what was interesting about those? One, and this is to your point, it, they were brands. Mm-hmm. You know, they had identity, they were signaling, they, you know, they really were going after their customer brand. Mm-hmm. The other thing is they started online. So they mm-hmm. had data, they knew a lot more about the customer. Uh, mm-hmm. They went direct because they went online so mm-hmm. that they could get that customer data. Mm-hmm. And they also, many of them were subscriptions, which is another thing you mentioned in the early sec. Mm-hmm. This idea of locking people in for the long term, you know, that. It's very important now, but it, it wasn't so important before 2017. Understood. Loyalty programs like at, at some of those retailers would buy 10 coffees and get an 11th one free. <laughs> That's not the same thing as a subscription service, you know? That's right. Um, That's right. It's a very different idea. So I was looking at all of those trends mm-hmm. and 
I thought, what ties all these things together? And it's really very simple. And this is what underlines my matrix. I went back to the idea of what we teach in marketing 101, what we teach in every single course, and it was gone. And there's two principles in marketing. The first principle is customer value. You Mm got to give something to customers that they want. Mm -hmm. It's not rocket science, but it's shocking how many people don't do that. Mm -hmm. And the second principle is differential advantage. You got to do it better than the competition. Mm -hmm. So that's what my matrix is based on. The rows are give customers what they value. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying, it's functional value, product benefits. That's one column. Mm -hmm. And then the other column is what's new about the matrix is this idea of the customer experience. The things we were talking about in the last half hour, you know, like betting on a three-point advantage in Mm -hmm. some game. Mm -hmm. What's that have to do with Mountain Dew? (laughs) But something, it's something about the experience around the product that's Mm -hmm. independent of the functional value of Mm -hmm. the product. Mm -hmm. So those are the columns in my matrix. And the row is do it better than the competition. Make it more fun. Make it more trustworthy. Build a Mm -hmm. strong, positive relationship or take away the pain. And that's the underlying matrix. It gets more complicated. I have more strategic implications there. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's the ultimate. It's really so simple. Give customers what they want and do it better than the competition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, we've been teaching marketing for how many years? That's what we teach. That's what we teach. But (laughs) what's interesting about it is, you know, it's easy to say, but it's much more difficult to implement. And to your point earlier, when you were mentioning this direct to consumer movement that started really kicking off it made me wonder barbara to what extent because i think this is what happens like everyone all of a sudden thought that they could build a company and everybody thought that they could you know everybody and their brother thought that i could do a pitch deck and i could do this dtc and i'll be a warby or i'll be a you know an all birds or i'll be a you know harry's or you know whatever and it just All Wharton brands, I noticed. You <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I, uh, yes. So, so, of course, I'm slight, slightly biased towards our, our, our famous Wharton startups that have gone on to entrepreneurial success. But, but it, it makes me wonder, though, because if we start dissecting the matrix and we start thinking about the columns, right? So we have customer centricity, which is functional or experiential. That's the columns. And then we have how do you do it better on the rows, which is either fun or frictionless. So let's talk about the fun by by functionality cell of that matrix what do we learn in that cell yeah so it could be fun it could just be something positive trust Mm. brand so that on the functional side that's what i call brand you know and so it could be technology it could be design it could be brand identity all of that stuff goes in that because it's you know now i know your definition of brand identity is much bigger than just that but there is i mean you're going to take into it more than just that but but there is the brand value of the product Mm -hmm. and that's wrapped around the product to some degree Mm -hmm. i'm I'm going to separate that out into that. Okay. So it's I and and by the way, when I was doing this matrix, you know, before COVID and even subsequent, I was looking at the success stories and seeing what they were, what was successful. Mm-hmm. Before COVID, luxury was doing really well, even when the rest of the retail industry was going down. Mm-hmm. Now during COVID, luxury was hurt a little bit, okay. but I predict, and we're already seeing evidence of it. Luxury is not going anywhere. There's still going to be a strong segment. They're going to come back, and mm-hmm. people just, you know, we were talking earlier 
roaring 20s, you know, you're yeah. going to want to uh-huh. buy something special when you go out to dinner in a restaurant right. for the mm-hmm. first time, you know, right. and um, so that's what it is. It's the it could be design. It could be technology. It could be something cool about the product. It could be a very strong brand name. I put Nike in that in that quadrant. Gotcha. Um, so. It, that's what it is. It's it's something very strong, trustworthy about a product. And the best si- signal of that is its brand. Gotcha. Interesting. And so on the other side, though, if I'm tracking correctly, we have fun by experiential. Is that the second quadrant? Yeah. And that's yeah. to say that the product could actually be close to a commodity and you would still buy that product because the customer experience is so ah, much fun. Okay. So I, that's what I'll use Sephora as an example. Sephora, mm-hmm. when they opened, they sold the exact same products at the same price as a Macy's. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't about the brands you could buy mm-hmm. and it wasn't that you were getting a better price. You were mm-hmm. paying the same price, same product. So mm-hmm. why were you going to Sephora instead of Macy's? Uh-huh. And it's because... And this is pre-COVID. They had the product out all over the store. You could try anything on. The salespeople weren't on commission, so they didn't upsell you and cross-sell you. They actually were there to help you. New Mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. You know, they had a great loyalty program, so you didn't have to remember exactly what shade of red you bought your last lipstick. They could tell you it was fire engine red Mm -hmm. because they had it in data. Mm -hmm. They didn't do stuff like that at Macy's, but at Sephora... They connected you. They connected you to an incredible video library. So you could talk to all sorts of other people that would teach you the newest trends. And, you know, a lot of young people, a lot of fun, 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 fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Sephora is also much better at uh, augmented reality and all these other kinds of things, oh, color matching and all mm-hmm. that other stuff. Uh-huh. It's not about the product there, right? Interesting. It's because yeah. you're going to buy the same brand. You're going to still buy Bobby Brown or you're still going to buy, you know, Christian Dior. You're buying the same product, but That's you're amazing. buying it from Sephora, not Macy's, because uh-huh. the customer experience That's is so much better. That's really, really powerful. Would you put, because we've had the 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 folks, our friends from MasterCard on the show a couple times. Would you put that kind of those, their initiatives in that same sort of bucket? Totally of customer yeah. experience. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. exactly what they're talking about. You know, the mm-hmm. product is like credit. <laughs> <laughs> right. We, we can't even formulate a picture of what it is in our minds. <laughs> yeah. No, it's totally about experience. And, you know, and that's what we're talking about. It's kind of mind boggling. People have moved, especially since covid products becoming commodity and the differentiator Mm. is the customer experience. It's really not the functions of the product. Pepsi's spending all this money, not making Mountain Dew taste better Mm. or be fizzier or, you know, maybe they are coming out with some new flavors and things like that. I don't know. And Mm -hmm. sugar, different kinds of sugar products or whatever, but they are really investing in the customer experience around the product. That's, now we're starting to take it for granted, but I can tell you five years ago, it was not what people were talking about. That was really a new idea. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, we through your work as executive director, director of MSI, we've had a, a nice conversation with the CMO of JetBlue, Elizabeth Windrum, Wharton alum, who basically said the same thing. It's like, we're a commodity. We're, it's it's you know, getting on a plane and going from A to B. So we really need to focus on the con matrix. Uh, that second cell to be able to create this incredible experience that can really be the differentiating factor in in a space where basically, you know, consumers perceive price and schedule and plane A to plane B basically all the same. Right. 
So it's all about the experience. And I can tell you, if I ever fly again, that's what I care about. (laughs) (laughs) Especially right. So post post COVID, all of these things will be amplified. Now, the third cell, which I believe is frictionless, but functional is the cross of that. That's the third cell. That seems like that's like an Amazon. Well, Amazon's experience, let's start just to go in the same order. Frictionless product is going to be price. So price. what I have takeaway pain. So the takeaway pain on the product side is price. Mm-hmm. Um, because what's the pain point when you're just thinking about product, you're not thinking about the customer experience anymore. Now mm-hmm. you're thinking about the product. What what's the least painful product? It's the cheapest one. Mm-hmm. So what what's interesting in that cell, there's incredible creativity there because mm-hmm. to make a price strategy work, you've got to be creative in your costs. Mm -hmm. And I've shown that some of the most successful retailers are low low price retailers, actually. So Walmart, TJ Maxx, they're very successful. Costco, they're very successful on low price. Mm -hmm. They're taking away the friction in the purchase of products Mm -hmm. because you can buy a lot more at Costco or Walmart Mm -hmm. because it's much cheaper. That's that's the functional pain point is price. Mm-hmm. But Walmart has a different cost model than Costco does than mm-hmm. TJ Maxx. Mm-hmm. And so they've all considered different ways of, of reducing the cost so that they can compete on a low price. That's mm-hmm. the game in that, oh. in that um, cell. Yeah. And it's actually very, very clever the way they've done. Walmart's the most traditional one. They're right. an operationally excellent company mm-hmm. and they just drill down the costs on everything, scale mm-hmm. operations. They're mm-hmm. really good. Costco, doing, are they doing grocery, Barbara? Did, yeah. Did I read? Oh, okay. Walmart. Are you talking about Walmart? Walmart, yeah, Walmart. is... Um, doing phenomenally well i mean wow. during covid uh-huh. these these retailers in that cell mm-hmm. through the roof like uh-huh. costco target walmart they're the big winners and uh-huh. even tj maxx which is doesn't have a digital presence to talk about uh-huh. when they when we were allowed to back in stores people are lining around the block to get uh-huh. back into those stores they love tj maxx mm-hmm. um so that's that's that cell. Now the fourth cell is what you mentioned, which is take away the friction from the customer experience, mm-hmm. and that's what Amazon did. So gotcha. the idea, and like what I would argue, and I don't think Bezos would would disagree with me on this, mm-hmm. um, is that Amazon sells commodities. Mm-hmm. You know, you just want to get the product. Why are you buying from, especially during COVID? Of course, you know they did even better. But why mm-hmm. are you buying a product on Amazon? Are you buying it because you think it's the best product on earth? No, you're (laughs) buying it because you can get it as easily as possible. So the products help constant. And what Amazon's selling you is the most convenient frictionless experience on earth. And the way they can do it is by collecting all this data, figuring out how to be exactly where you want them to be when you want them to be. Mm-hmm. And it just couldn't be easier. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you mentioned this because I, in my class earlier today, Barbara, I had Pauline Brown, who you know very well. Yes. Um, and she made that, she made a very important, funny point where she said, because she has a background in luxury and, and, and retail in, the, in, in that sense. But she was making the point of like, no one goes to Amazon to be inspired. Right. Like, <laughs> it's like, you know, like the, the traditional luxury houses that do fashion, like, you know, 
Amazon, that's not where you go to get, to get fashion. No luxury will sell on Amazon. No luxury. It's not and Nike work. used to sell on Amazon. They pulled themselves off. Mm -hmm. No. So so that's another underlying point of my matrix, which which gets a little more complicated. But it basically says you have to be good enough in all four boxes, but oh, you don't have to be the best at everything. Oh. So what my strategy says is you've got to be good enough in all four boxes, uh -huh. but you've got to be the best in one and then mm. leverage that to be the best the second one. And I oh, call wow. that the two quadrant strategy. Okay. So Amazon is the best at frictionless mm -hmm. and they leverage that advantage to also offer low cost, mm -hmm. but they're not the best in fashion and luxury and they're not the best in fun customer experience. Amazon or Amazon stores, it's not fun mm -hmm. it's functional mm -hmm. but so they're but just good enough in those other two speak on that a little bit barbara because you mentioned this in the book and also in interviews that i that i watched where you talked about the book the notion that amazon started uh uh all digital and now they're opening stores so you talked right. about this eight i i, I when, when you said that on the interview i was shocked i could not believe this talk a it's, little bit about it's that. pretty funny you know so now we get into how covid's changed things and um, you know, everybody's talking about digital, 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 the king of digital Amazon, they're all physical, they're opening up stores, <laughs> they opened up a store in September um, 2020, uh, they opened up their first Amazon fresh, which is a grocery store, I think they now have already have 12, they're opening up stores, wow. and right, they're opening up more of those Amazon goes, they're, they're building distribution centers, they're taking over empty malls and putting their fulfillment centers, they're putting out their physical their physical product, right? Wow. And so if you think what's happened since COVID, what are mm -hmm. the things that have changed? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that I think happened is it isn't about offline, online. Mm -hmm. Anybody that's focusing and thinking COVID made everything digital, in mm -hmm. my opinion, missed the boat. Interesting. It's not about that. It's mm -hmm. really about shopping. <laughs> I want shopping to be as convenient and, and as easy as I want. Sometimes I want it online. Sometimes I want to go to the store mm -hmm. and I just want it to be a seamless integration. That is exactly what I want to be. Mm -hmm. So what we are seeing the best retailers who are coming out of COVID they're what I call customer centered omni-channel, okay. which means seamless integration. They can go online, offline, the data is passed back and forth. It's mm -hmm. not one or the other. It's both. Mm -hmm. And the best example of that is, you know, shop online, pick up in the store. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing a lot of people do that. That's really convenient. Go mm -hmm. in the morning, something, and then on the way home from work, pick it up at Walmart at an appointment. Mm -hmm. Couldn't be easier. Mm -hmm. That's a seamless integration behind online and offline. Mm -hmm. But it's also customer centered which mm -hmm. means it's personalized. I'm collecting the data at the customer level. That's one of the trends that we're seeing coming out of COVID. Interesting. And one of the additional pieces that has informed the book uh, that I think you talked about, Barbara, was what, what the key learnings are from China. Can you speak on that a little bit, you know, in terms of what, what you've seen? Because apparently like they're light years ahead of us in terms of payment method, other what shopification what is it shoppertainment talk Shopper about those things yeah yeah so you know, the thing that's interesting about um about china is this customer centered omni channel that's the words i'm using mm -hmm. they use different words they called it new retail um and <laughs> okay. uh, that doesn't sound as smart as, as your nomenclature <laughs> but it's pretty smart actually and i saw that in november 2019 when i was in china it's alibaba's term new retail mm. and they had you know you had a little local grocery store that was a delivery center anything that you could order online pay mm -hmm. it at the, in the store pay whatever everything was delivered all of that was 
was happening in China. Mm -hmm. They had this customer-centered omni-channel stuff way, way before the U.S. did. They also had digital payment way before us. That's another trend we're seeing coming out of COVID mm -hmm. is frictionless payment. That, that's for sure going to happen. That's already happening. Little, little tiny stores are already doing that. Mm -hmm. That was in China way before. <laughs> and then this line between um, retail and advertising and all of that stuff was uh -huh. in China way before. They gotcha. were doing live streaming. They had key opinion leaders. Okay. Well, their version of TikTok was always commerce. Okay. In the US, oh, TikTok here is entertainment. Yeah. But in China, it's shoppertainment. It's about- uh, did, did, it, did it start that way, Barbara? I, I'm not sure exactly okay. how it started. By the time I saw it, it's all about commerce. These, lot, these key opinion leaders go on live streaming and they, they kind of sell. Wow. I mean, but they sell in an entertaining way. People like it, uh -huh. but, but they're going to they're gonna sell product through that, through that inter interaction. What's the difference between live streaming in China and like going to a movie? Well, a lot, because when you go to live streaming, you know you're in a shopping world. Got it. You, know, you know there's product to buy there. Right. TikTok here is still entertainment. I don't yeah. think it's... Um, yeah. Entertainment yet, and in fact, I wonder if it's going to be really hard to make that transition because once you once you teach people this is about entertainment, I'm thinking about the YouTube example. Once once you teach them it's free and it's entertainment, once you start trying to show them ads and sell stuff, I don't know if that works. So, but it sounds like in China that they were smart enough to somehow build it in or accelerate that shopification piece so quickly so that people it's just the norm. Yeah, and people develop very warm relationships with their live stream favorite person. Interesting. And they were very authentic and mm -hmm. they weren't sell selling. They were just mm -hmm. telling you about how they lived their life and these are the products they used in their lives. And if you like me, you're going to like these products. And it just was warm and authentic and cool and they were funny and interesting. And yeah, that's the way it works in China. So it's really strong key opinion leaders. They call them KOLs. Mm -hmm. And they even have KOCs, which is key opinion customers. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's very different. But I think we're seeing all of that start to come here um, post-COVID. So COVID accelerated a lot of stuff that China was ahead of us in. And it was it's very interesting. So I did add an, a whole extra chapter in the book Excellent. about everything I knew about China, everything I know about Chinese <laughs> in my new book. <laughs> That's awesome. Where, where can listeners pick up the book, Barbara? How do, how do we, how do they find it? Well, it's anywhere you want to go. You know? so it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's truly omnichannel. It's <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. I, I got to practice what I teach, preach. So you can buy it on Wharton's on Wharton press site, but you can get it on Amazon and Google and Very cool. Barnes and Noble and whatever else. That's awesome. But it's exciting. And thank you for asking me about it. Um, Unfortunately, we can't just keep talking and talking and talking about my book. We got we got to well, end. This so is thank great. you. This has Professor been awesome. I really, really appreciate this. This is a you know very important framework. I'm going to use it in my classes to teach my students since it comes from the Wharton School, First Collegiate Business School on the Planet. So appreciate you spending <laughs> some time on our show to, to lay this out for our listeners and for myself. Oh, thank you very much. And we'd like to thank our audio engineer, Dion Simpkins, Chris Tooks, and our producer, Dana Cash. We're here every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern time. We replay our show several times throughout the week. And you can follow us on our new Twitter site at SXM Marketing, or you can follow Business Radio at SXM Business for information about all our programming. Thank you for listening today. Till then, this is Marketing Matters. I'm Barbara Kahn here with America's Read, Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.